0: Hey there, Duke fans. Long time no see, long time no talk to. It has been a little while since we had our last DBR podcast, but we are back because this Saturday is the start of the Blue Devil football season, so the podcast is back in force. Now, I have good news and bad news this week. The good news is that myself, Jason Evans, and my colleague Sam Klein. Sam, say hi.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: Sam and I are both here. Donald is AWOL. Donald, I I have no idea where he is. I think he traveled to another foreign country. I think Donald's in the CIA or something like that. He's in a foreign
1: country. More than that, we cannot disclose.
0: Yes, right, we we are sworn to secrecy. We could tell you, but we'd have to kill you. Donald isn't here. And while I'm sure all of you at home listening to this podcast are crying and so upset to be missing the dulcet tones of Donald Wine, we have a replacement for him. Joining Sam and I this week, is the DBR's resident football expert. He's been a member of the DBR moderation community. He is our resident naval expert who spent 30 years in the armed forces. We salute you, sir, for that. He now lives in Norfolk, Virginia, makes it back to Duke games as often as possible. And he's been going to Duke football games since the mid-1960s. I am talking about none other than Bob Green. Bob, say hi to the masses.
2: Hello, DBR.
0: Bob, thanks a lot for being with us. We are going to we're going to do this podcast a little differently than we do some of the other podcasts. We're going to start by talking to you, interviewing you about football, and then, folks, we're going to get to a couple other co- topics, some Duke basketball recruiting, and we're going to reflect a little bit on the Olympics and Coach K's tenure with uh, Team USA. But we're going to start with, uh, with the football. We are just days away from uh, Duke's first game at Wally Wade against North Carolina Central, for folks who don't remember. Last year, Duke beat NC Central. 55 to zip 55 to nothing the year before was significantly closer game we only won 52 to 13. so well i mean i'm not sure how much you can glean from a team like that but bob is here to help us figure out what we need to do about duke football and sam i'm gonna turn it over to you and let you start with the questioning for bob and i think i hope you are going to begin with the questions at quarterback
1: yep uh thanks jason and thank you again bob for uh being here and and Hello again to everybody, um, because it's been a while, and uh, I believe that because we are recording on the 31st, although I don't believe that the podcast is going to go up on the 31st, although since we are recording, uh, we can maintain our streak of uh, having at least recorded once in every month since we started back in um, uh, November of 2014. So good job to us on that. Uh, So, Bob, let's get started. Uh, As Jason mentioned, we'll, we'll start at the quarterback position. Um, which is the most interesting position on the field, but also the most interesting position potentially for Duke this year. Um, Thomas Cirque, it was recently announced he was supposed to be the returning starter this year. Uh, For his senior season, he was named captain, um, but he retore his Achilles recently in practice, and it now sounds like his his Duke career may be over, Uh, but the staff announced this week that Daniel Jones, it sounds like, is going to be starting at quarterback ahead of parker bame what do we know about daniel jones and why was he picked over bame uh, for the starting role
2: but daniel jones a redshirt uh, freshman so he was on the uh, team last year this is his uh, second year in the program he's uh, out of uh, charlotte uh, he has good size of six foot five uh, you know over 200 pounds so um the interviews that I've read with uh, Coach Cutliffe, he talks about his uh, decision-making ability and uh, he has uh, a strong arm. So um, he's someone that uh, prides himself on uh, accuracy throwing the football. So those are the things that uh, we know about him from uh, the interviews and Obviously, the uh, big unknown is that he's never played in a college football game. So, on uh, Saturday evening, we'll get to see how he adjusts to uh, you know Division One college football and uh, everything that comes with that. The, the that's a that's, a
0: that's a pretty big unknown. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. never played the game. <laughs> yeah. even and and, and it's yeah. interesting, I
1: think, because we've because we've seen Parker Bame a little bit in you know last year. There were there were blowouts and such where we got to see him play. Um, well, and
0: yeah. Sirkot, Sir got hurt and he played in one game. Right. He got,
1: right. He, he right. So Bame. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bame started
1: and
2: played the entire game against Pittsburgh. Um, so, you know, I mean, that lets us, uh, gives us another glimpse into Jones and in that, you know, this is Bame's fourth year in the program and he, he has a significant amount of playing experience under his belt, but, um, through spring and, and training was, and fall camp. Daniel Jones re- beat him out.
0: My recollection is that Bame wasn't bad against Pittsburgh. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't great. He didn't light, the, light things up, but Bame had a fairly decent game against Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, I, I think for Daniel Jones to beat him out for the position, that's a pretty big deal. That's quite a, 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 a voice of confidence in Daniel Jones.
2: That's definitely the way I'm looking at it. So yeah. I'm, I'm, excited to, I'm excited to see him play. So.
1: It, 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 it's also interesting just because he wasn't a, a major recruit or anything, so we don't really know much about him. Um, but he was featured in, in Bruce Feldman's uh, college football preview this week, um, so, so there's some attention being paid. Uh, let's move on from quarterback. I wanted to uh, next look uh, at the offensive line. I know that a lot of guys have graduated. We're, we're putting a lot of new guys into, into starting roles, and offensive line has kind of been a strength for Duke uh, avoiding sacks, um, creating holes for the running game. What what do we think we can expect from the offensive line this year? Is it possibly going to be a step back, or are those new guys ready to step up um, and and fill those spots?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a step back at all. I believe offensive line is going to be a, a team strength. It's been a team strength for the last several years. It will be again this year. We, we have three returning starters. Um, that's uh, been a a constant over the last three or four years is that duke has returned three starters and and brought two new starters in each year so um we have uh tanner stone and gabe bradner and casey blazer all back as starters um then uh, they'll bring in austin davis at center and uh The other guard, the other uh, starting guard, uh, we be uh, Zach Baker, who's a redshirt freshman. So we're we have three starters back and two um, new guys. And once again, uh, offensive line is going to be uh, team strength. You know, I, I have some notes uh, written on a piece of paper um, for this uh, podcast, and under strengths, offensive line is one of the uh, items that I have written down. So no, I don't expect to st- a step back at all this year,
1: and then looking at the rest of the uh, offensive skill positions, uh, a lot of new guys also around there. Um, give us a name of a of one of those offensive skill players, either a wide receiver or a running back or a tight end, who you think might blossom into a star, because uh, because Duke has certainly had their fair share of of stars out in the in the offensive backfield and and then also out in the wide receiver court in recent years.
2: Yeah, at wide receiver. Um, Jonathan Lloyd has been uh, announced as a starter. He'll be starting in slot receiver. And uh, so that's that's a guy that has an opportunity. Um, of course, T.J. Roming, who uh, started and played significantly last year as a true freshman, is back. So uh, he's also um, a guy that really could have a breakout year. Um, he, he had a breakout year as a freshman, but he could even take that next step in this season. So – um, I think wide receiver is in the skill position. That's the, the position that, uh, is a little bit uh, less unknown. Um, cause when you turn to running back, we, you know, we are really strong at running back with, uh, Jale Duncan and Sean Wilson and then Joe Ajebe. So I'm really looking, uh, forward to seeing Duncan and Wilson run the ball. And then hopefully we, uh, get some receivers that step up and because you know, balance is the key. You know, I think the games when Duke has played the best, it's when they've achieved balance on offense, a good balance between passing and,
1: and running the uh, football. Yeah. So. And I think that, that that has especially come on the last couple of years as, you know, we've, we've gone from quarterbacks who have been much more traditional, like Thaddeus Lewis and, and Sean Renfrey the last couple Starting quarterbacks that Duke has featured, Anthony Boone and Thomas and I think been a little. It's fair to say they have been a little bit more limited in their ability, in their passing ability, but have made up for it with stronger running games. And 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 in addition, the running back core has gotten better as has the offensive line the last few years. So you've seen more of a balance, maybe than than Coach Cutcliffe would have liked to have had. Um, but it certainly hasn't hurt the uh, certainly hasn't hurt the production of the of the offense. Um, let's, uh, let's move to the other side of the ball. Uh, the biggest thing that Duke fans will notice this year that this year, that's different from last year is that Jeremy cash won't be all over the field, making every single tackle, um, out of the sort of specialty position that coach Cutcliffe assigned to him. He's he's notionally, he was notionally a safety in the, in the Duke defense, but he often lined up like a linebacker or even a defensive lineman uh, made a lot of tackles behind the line of scrimmage. So, Duke is really going to miss cash this year since he's playing for the Panthers. Um, how is the defensive backfield going to recover uh, from losing such an all star player? Is perhaps Devine Edwards going to take some of that load, or are there other guys who, uh, who are ready to step into that, into that job?
2: The uh, strike safety position is the position that uh, cash played, and he'll, that position will be filled with uh, Corbin McCarthy. Corbin McCarthy is a fifth year senior. Um, who has played uh, significantly. He uh, played the uh, entire ball game. Uh, As you remember, Cash uh, had surgery on his wrist and didn't play in the ball game against Indiana. So uh, Corbin McCarthy uh, is obviously not going to replace Jeremy Cash, um, but he is a, a skilled player, and he actually could be a step up over Cash in the area of pass coverage. So while Cash was a tremendous, tremendous player against the run, um, he did have a weakness in pass coverage. So the, what we're hearing on Mc, uh, Corbin McCarthy is that uh, he's, a, he's a better pass covering safety. So um, I think he's gonna fill in uh, quite nicely. Our secondary is going to be tremendously strong. Uh, we have five guys back there in our 4 5 defense. Four of them are seniors. And, and the fifth guy is a junior, Brian Fields. So uh, that's uh, secondary
1: is going to be very, very strong. And then, so, and then as you look around the field, you mentioned all the experience in the defensive backfield. Um, it seems like from reading some of the reports that there are a number of true freshmen that might get opportunities to play this year. Um, any of those guys stand out as, as people who are going to be real major impact players for Duke um, this season?
2: Well, on the, uh, on the defensive line at, at defensive end and uh, recent press conference, Coach Cutcliffe named three true freshmen defensive ends that he said could play. Uh, so terrell lucas uh, james hornbuckle and Okanya. So i'm not sure i pronounced that name correctly but uh, those are three true freshmen that coach cutcliffe said will get an opportunity to play at defensive end and so that's uh so last year our secondary was maligned at times um because of all the success teams had passing the football against us, but you know, the truth is we didn't generate a pass rush. So when the, the quarterback, and the game that really stands out to me is the Pittsburgh game, where the Pittsburgh quarterback stood back there all day picking out receivers to throw the ball to. So you know, we really need to be able to generate a pass rush, and that's where uh, a lot of those uh, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and sophomores on the defensive line are going to need to make an impact this year. And we also have a new defensive line coach, Ben Albert, who came to us from Boston College. So the impact of Ben Albert and the defensive line
1: is going to be
2: a big indicator of how Duke's defense performs this year.
1: I I seem to recall Boston College having a rather stout defense last year, yes? Yes. So, uh, so, so, looking forward to the uh, to the effect of the new, the positive effect of uh, new coaching on that side. I'm going to uh, turn it over to Jason to ask a couple of program questions. I, I was more interested in the uh, position by position stuff. So, uh, Jason, why don't you uh, why don't you take it away?
0: Yeah. So, Bob, um, you were talking about true freshmen um, who are going to uh, have an impact on the team, and I wanted to get into Duke's recruiting. Um, a few years ago, it felt like Cut was mostly looking for, you know, local kids, uh, you know, maybe undervalued guys. Uh, a lot of them would be fast, speedy kind of players that he just sort of recruited speed as much as he could. Um, but but he he wasn't really even trying necessarily to land guys that would be considered, uh, you know, three or, or four star players. Um, uh, but... But Duke's recruiting has has really changed in the past couple of years, hasn't it? Talk a little bit about that and, and, and what we've seen um from from Cut on the on the recruiting trail. Yeah, the the recruiting has uh
2: steadily increased. Um when you when you look at the stars, you know, you go to the recruiting sites and the three-star, the four-star recruits. Um so you know Coach Cutcliffe has Repeatedly stated that he's building a program, and I I think recruiting is a good uh, indicator of that. You know, as the program started to win, the recruiting uh, became more productive. Uh, so last year's the the guys that are true freshmen this year that uh, that class had, a, um, according to the various uh, recruiting services, about eight or nine four star recruits on it. So um, and. Duke's a program that just a few years ago was lucky to get a couple of three-star recruits. We were we were living off of two-star recruits, and now all of a sudden we're getting four-star recruits and a lot of them. So the the recruiting has definitely increased. the The 2017 class is enough is also maybe not quite up to par with the 2016 class, but still a very good class. And, obviously the the quarterback out of california four-star jack sears is uh, the marquee recruit to date so recruiting is definitely something that uh, continues to get better
0: yeah uh, jack sears was a huge deal i mean you know i used to notice when duke would recruit a kid i'd i sort of look and say oh i wonder i wonder who they got you know who the kid got offers from other than duke and Sometimes it would be teams like North Carolina Central. It it was pretty rare that Duke was taking players away from other BCS conference schools. And here we have Jack Sears who had offers from USC and UCLA and, and like every major program in the country. Um, so it's a huge, huge coup for, for Cut to be recruiting at that level. Um, I, I want to talk, you know, speaking of other BCS teams and, and other high-quality teams, uh, our schedule this year is, is tougher than it's been in the past. And it and it gets tough pretty quickly. I mean, in September, uh, in years past, it feels like Duke's always raced out to like a four or five and oh, or four or five and one record. And then sort of we've had our tougher ACC games. Well, this year we've got both Northwestern and Notre Dame um, right at the very, very beginning of the season in in September. Um, Do do you think Duke is prepared for that quality of opponent? I, I speak specifically about Notre Dame, um, you know, what have we seen in the past that says that, that Duke can compete with a team like that?
2: Yes, I think we are prepared. So um, I, I think this is another season where Duke's going to get off to a fast start. Um, you know, I, I realize I'm a homer for saying it, but we should have beat Northwestern last year. That uh, That game turned on two plays. Um, two plays that went uh, horribly bad for Duke, or you know, if you're a Northwestern fan, two two plays that went uh, that went great. But, uh, but by is- the way,
0: by the way, Duke must win that game because my niece is a freshman at Northwestern, and she and I have made a wager on that game. Um, I was trying to get some points because it's at Northwestern, and she wouldn't hear anything of it. So we we've got to win because I don't want to be forced to wear a Northwestern T-shirt. At our next, you know, family get together, I I cannot tolerate that. So, so I but, hope you're right, and we get off yeah, to a good start. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: going to be a tough game. There's no doubt about that. But it, it, you know, it's it's definitely a winnable game. Um, so, you know, I think there's a a good opportunity for Duke to get off to a three and zero start, and then we have a very tough game um, at Notre Dame on the 24th of September. Um, but then, that's followed up by Virginia and Army. So, two more winnable games. So, five and one in the first six games is definitely doable. Um, the game at, at Notre Dame, um, I definitely expect Duke to be competitive. I just and, and think- it's on
0: it's on national TV, it's on NBC. I mean, I can't, when was the last time a Duke football team was on a national? television network i i'm ex, i'm excusing espn i mean the major networks i i can't i can't remember it well it would be the uh sun Bowl. oh well, yeah yeah, right the bowl games oh, yes oh yeah right yeah,
2: right. yeah I, i'm even outside outside of the bowl game yeah yeah i'm not sure when it was but
1: uh but... i'll be i'll be at that game at notre dame um so i'm uh, i'm expecting to see uh to see some history made uh for the duke program uh so they they better fall i mean I, jason i understand that you know your bet with your niece is very important um but but my satisfaction actually being at the notre dame game i i'm just gonna say it trumps it so uh you know you <laughs> better win that day because uh, i'm because i'm flying out there for that <laughs>
0: uh seeing a game at notre dame is probably on a lot of people's bucket list. so uh you know that's somewhat somewhat similar to people who say they want to someday see a game in cameron um yeah, I, I, you are very, very lucky, sir. That, that'll be really cool. Hey, Bob, um, speaking of arenas and, and where the teams play, um, Duke's done some pretty significant updates to Wally Wade. Uh, are you and your tailgate crew all ready for, for what's to come in Wally Wade? Are you excited about it?
2: Oh, very excited. So yeah, I, you know, they have the construction cameras, so I've actually been, uh, watching, uh, the, the construction progress over the summer, but, uh, here last week they turned off the cameras. So, um, you know, that was a big disappointment not to be able to watch the grass grow while I drank a beer, but, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the stadium looks great. So, um, I'm, I'm not too excited about all the announced uh, new security, uh, rules they put into place, not being able to bring, uh, bags and such inside the stadium. So that's, uh, going to make it a little more difficult. But uh, I'm very excited about the uh, improvements to the stadium, and I'm ready to uh, see with my own eyes on Saturday. Uh,
0: So last thing I want to ask you about Duke football. Um, We've had four consecutive seasons where we've made bowl games. Um, We've averaged nine wins per season over the past three years. Uh, There are a lot of pundits out there who say this will be a down year, this will be a rebuilding year for the Duke football team. And that was before we lost our starting quarterback, um, which, uh, you know, quarterback, most important position on the field. Uh, I know David Cutcliffe has said that he does not believe this is a rebuilding season. Um, uh, what do you think he sees, what do you see that, um, that makes the two of you optimistic that Duke can continue to maintain um, not just the high standards, but the, the wins that we've seen in years past?
2: Well, I'll go back to you know Coach Cutcliffe continually talking about building a program. So I think that in years past, if we had lost a star player um, basically a week before the opening game, I think that uh, the program would have tumbled from that and and we would have we would have been uh, hurting badly, but uh, there's a 85 scholarship players on the team. Um, and I think that it's going to be the next man stepping up. And and I believe that uh, Duke's going to go to a fifth straight bowl game. So it's, it's going to be tough because the schedule is tough. I mean, it, it, it's quite possible that this football team could be a better football team than we've had the last couple of years, but not win as many games. But I do think that we will get – the requisite number of wins to qualify to play in a bowl
0: game. I love it. I love, I love your optimism, and I, I am uh, I'm on board, man. Uh, this is going to happen. Um, we're going to have a, a fifth straight bowl game, and uh, I, I'm just really looking forward to, to the season uh, getting underway. So um, we're going to wrap up our conversation about football. Uh, you know, uh, let, me, let me ask you for this before we go. Give me a prediction for this NC Central game. What what's the final score going to be? Forty five to ten. There you go. I'm not sure what the Vegas line is, but I'm not sure thirty five points is going to cover the Vegas line, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm, for the and record, that, I'm yeah, optimistic. Just, I think I think it's going to be over
1: fifty, but but that's just me.
2: Yeah. And the last uh, the last statement that I'll make on Duke football is. Uh, I believe that the most improved position on the field in 2016 is going to be linebacker. So all Duke football fans need to keep their eye on the linebacker position.
0: I love it. Excellent. All right. So that's going to wrap up our football conversation. It's time to move to hoops. All right, and the big news in the hoops world, um, Duke fans, uh, in case you uh, have not heard, uh, there is a a new member of the Duke family, um, Alex O'Connell, from uh, Milton High School, just outside Atlanta, right in my neck of the woods, became the first commit of the 2017 class. Alex is a 6'6 wing, more shooting guard than a wing, but uh, at 6'6, he certainly has the, the height to play um to play either small forward or shooting guard. Although uh, I know at Duke, there are no positions. People, please, you don't have to remind me. I know there are no positions. Um, Alex, uh, Alex is the son of a former Duke player. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, one of the things I, I love about him is that um, Syracuse and Louisville two of Duke's uh, heated rivals in the ACC had been recruiting this guy hard they wanted him and there were several other ACC schools I think Miami was in it on him as, on him as well uh, there are a bunch of ACC schools that really wanted Alex O'Connell and had offered him scholarships and were arranging visits and all that other kind of stuff they've been working on him for a long time Duke came in offered him a scholarship and within like two days he he committed and accepted one day and said he, one day one, one day yeah uh, yeah sorry um, so uh, it's pretty clear uh, where Alex O'Connell really, really wanted to go to school. He wanted to go to where his daddy went to school. He wanted to come play for Coach K. Um, Sam, let me start with you. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Alex O'Connell. Have you have you seen any of the YouTube highlights? Um, uh, how does he how does he fit into Duke's future plans?
1: I haven't yet, unfortunately. I uh, I will say that just looking at his ranking and looking at the other schools that were recruiting him um he seems like he falls into the three to four year player mold as opposed to the one and done mold um and and duke has certainly had a lot of success with with those guys recently in addition to having success with the with the one and done guys um you have to be excited about a player who is highly recruited but then as soon as the duke offer comes in bam he's he's right in the truck and he's he's on board and you don't get that with, with most guys. A lot of them, they'll say that, oh, such and such is my dream school, or I've always envisioned myself playing at a certain program. Then they'll get the offer, and then they still hang around and see who else offers and, and see what else is going to happen. This kid was obviously excited about, about committing to Duke in the way that I don't think many guys are who were at his level. And, you know, he's probably not going to be a McDonald's All-American, uh, which, you know, incredibly has, has honestly become the standard for the program the last four or five years. But uh, but his enthusiasm and uh, and the scouting report sounds like he's, he's going to be he's going to be a key member of the program um, and that he's he's going to develop into something special and and as you note know, he, he's got he's got the size um, to play a few different positions so I'm excited to see you know what his development looks like and in a class where you know at the end of the season we're going to see at least I think at minimum we're going to see four guys leave with with the two graduating seniors plus. Um, tatum and giles and then there are a number of other guys on the roster who could have big seasons and end up going pro so while duke is chasing a lot of big time one and done type talent players in the class of 2017 they're probably going to have a lot of roster spots to fill next year and and alex o'connell seems like the type of kid who's going to fit right in because let's face it if you're the 60 or so ranked prospect in the nation you're probably not playing as a freshman at duke but uh, you know, in years to come, when the when the serious guys have, have left after one or two years, uh, you're going to get you're going to get good playing time, and and he's going to get a lot of great development, uh, you know, under Coach K and and Cable and the rest of the staff, in addition to playing against all that NBA talent that's coming through. So I, I think it's a I think it's a big pickup for Duke. I think it's important for them to continue getting these these you know these three the three and four year players because they're the ones that stick around and and, and sort of act as that glue for the program.
0: Uh, you know, one thing I'll say about O'Connell, uh, and I know you haven't seen much tape of him, Sam, I watched a little bit, um, he he seems very long. I mean, he's 6'6", but he's got he's got really nice length in his arms, which is a, a very important thing. I mean, uh, I'm not gonna say he's Brandon Ingram, <laughs> who who had freakish, freakish, crazy length. But O'Connell is uh, is a guy who uh, who's going to be able to get out and play some defense because of his length. Um, he he's very athletic. I was impressed with his ability to go up and and dunk the ball. He's got good range out to the three point line as any shooting guard should have. Um, Bob, do do you have have you you noticed anything about Alex O'Connell? Got any comments here about um what this guy brings to the Duke program?
2: Well, I agree with uh, Sam that you know looks like he's going to be a three or four year player, and uh, that's very important. It's uh, those players that provide continuity and uh, so that's an important role and i haven't watched any of his videos but uh, the comments that i've read about him he's a guy that can really shoot the basketball and that's the type player that uh, we definitely value at duke
0: yeah as as sam said um (laughs) sam you want to go ahead and and share your comment about uh Alex O'Connell's future as a hated Duke player?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to note that he's that he's white and he's a good shooter, so um, I apologize to everybody in advance for all of the stupid things that are going to get written about Alex O'Connell and said about Alex O'Connell and said to Alex O'Connell. Um, he seems like a nice kid. He comes from a Duke family, so that's obviously a positive. It's, actually, as it turns out, his dad and I, his dad and my dad are in the same uh, class at Duke. Um, so, uh, But Sorry, Alex. Uh, there's going to be a lot of really, really stupid things said about you uh, over the next four and a half years because that's just how these things happen. And you know what? Uh, Grayson Allen seems to be dealing with it. He even elected, in spite of you know maybe maybe some people's advice, to come back for an extra year of it uh, after putting up an All-American season where everyone seemed to hate him everywhere. So uh, poor guy. Uh, it stinks to be white at Duke, but you know what? He'll he'll probably be a great player, and and. Uh, and if people hate him, then then there's a reason for it.
0: Yeah, Grayson Allen, John Shire, J.J. Redick have all done just fine in the world. Um, and uh, we should be so cursed as to have someone who uh, even comes close to to mimicking uh, their careers or, or or you know displaying similar abilities. The the last thing I want to mention about Alex O'Connell before we move on, um, as I said at the start, uh, he's from Milton High School, which is just outside Atlanta, Alpharetta. Um, I could uh, probably about a ten minute drive from my house to get out to Milton, but um, uh, I think it's very significant um, that uh, Alex O'Connell didn't even really consider Georgia Tech. I've been talking for a while um, on the boards about the class of 2017. Um, and the number of really, really impressive, strong players from the Atlanta area in the class of 2017. I've done some research, and it's something like five or six of the top 50 players, um, top 50, top 60, five or six of them are from Atlanta, which is, like, ridiculous. And Georgia Tech continues to strike out on all these guys, and I am terrified. Of what would happen if Georgia Tech Tech started to land the the local kids, but Duke continues to deny them. I think we will deny them again with um with another Atlanta kid, uh, uh who who attends Pace Academy, which is really near me, Wendell Carter, who's uh, one of the top two or three players in the class, uh, and Georgia Tech desperately wants him, but I think Duke will frustrate them uh, in that regard as well. Um, and it's really nice to see Duke getting in here into my backyard and landing these kids um, who, uh, when Bobby Cremins was around, Bobby Cremins always used to get the best player in the state of Georgia, and that ain't happening anymore, and it's uh, good for the Blue Devils when we, when we do this kind of thing. So Alex O'Connell, welcome to Duke, and I'm glad it was such an easy decision for you. Um, like Sam said, I love it when uh, you offer a kid and he accepts literally uh, the next day. He can barely get uh, dinner and breakfast down before he, before he tells Coach K, yes, I'm coming to Duke. It's great to have you on board, Alex. Okay, so the next basketball thing I want to get to is the Olympics. Um it's not technically a Duke thing, although it's a team coached by Coach K. That sounds like a Duke thing to me. Um uh Bob, did did you watch much of the Olympics? Did you watch Coach K's swan song, his final final victory lap as coach of team USA?
2: Yes, I watched a lot of the Olympics uh, in general, and I watched uh, every one of the United States basketball games. So I really enjoyed the Olympics this year. So,
0: uh, so what was your takeaway? Uh, you know, any reflections on what it meant for Coach K to, to finish up with, a, with another win? Um, it was not as easy as it's been in past years. The championship game uh, was pretty easy, but uh, there, were some, there were some scares along the way. Um, uh, you know, any, any, anything about, uh, you know, how coach K prepared this team or anything about the, the, the content of the team or how they performed in the games that you want to reflect on?
2: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised uh, with the, the struggles certain players had shooting the basketball. Um, but coach K seemed to adapt to that with a couple of uh, lineups that he, you know, he kept, the same players playing together, you know, he had, at one point early on, he moved, uh, Paul George into the starting lineup, but, but then he seemed to struggle in the starting lineup where he was doing really good with the second team. So he moved him back. So I, I really think that coach K did a great job managing the uh, rotation and, uh, having the players play together that, that fit together. And, uh, it was, uh, very enjoyable watching it, uh, couple of games were a struggle but then as as they moved into the, the last couple of games the, the team as a whole really seemed to start to click and play and you could tell that they were focused on on coming away with the gold medal
0: yeah you know obviously what what picked up for them was the defense um you know it's worth noting in their last 3 games of the 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 pool play The U.S. gave up 88, 91, and 97 points. That's a lot of points to give up um, uh, in a game. Now, I mean, I know the USA won, but in each one of those games, they gave up, you know, 90, uh, you know, almost 90 or more than 90 points. Well, once they got to the knockout round, they gave up 78, 76, and 66. Um, The defense clearly, clearly stepped up. Um, We know how much Coach K preaches defense. It must be really hard for him. You know, he only gets these guys for like a month and he's got to, you know, refine them into a into a team that can play cohesively together. And that that cannot be easy. Um, uh, Sam, what about you? What are your reflections uh, on on the Olympic victory for Coach K and for Team USA?
1: I, I would rather just rewind back to 2009 and say that uh, Coach K coached Kyrie Irving and Harrison Barnes to a to a championship and everyone's happy about it. So. Uh, things worked out in the end.
0: <laughs> you 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 want? Did you just rewind back to before Skype Boy before he skyped?
1: Yeah, before before all that stupidity and before we before uh, the the fire was lit uh, for Coach K to turn into a recruiting hound uh, after his first Olympic championship. But um, no, I, I in all seriousness, it, it's. It, it was it was very cool that they, as Bob noted, they struggled early in in pool play, especially there were a couple of games that were that were close that came down to the end, um, but that they that he managed to retool the lineup a little bit, um, get the ball to the right guys, and that by the time they got to the elimination rounds, the U.S. team was unstoppable. Which you know in in years past they've struggled with a few different teams, with Spain, um, France, Argentina. Uh, there, there are countries that are that are producing a lot of talent and that are able to compete with the U.S. And then obviously Serbia this year, who who looks pretty strong in the tournament, and then who the U.S. just blasted in the last game. Um, looking back on the whole Olympic experience, back from 2008 all the way to here, it's been an incredible run for Coach K and the USA players. You know, it, it's easy to say, well, they're they're the USA based basketball players. They're they're all NBA guys. Um, they should be able to beat everybody, but you know, even even the very best teams in in basketball can lose. We we watched the finals this year where the Warriors went seventy three and nine and then and then went down uh, or went up three games to one in the series and then managed to lose. Um, so the best players are able to lose, and and this year's lineup didn't even necessarily feature the the very best the U.S. had to offer, and Schefcik you know still manages to to turn them into a winning team despite not having them for very long and despite a lot of the key players having played deep into the playoffs um so it's been a remarkable run for him and and it's funny now because you read all the coverage about how folks are saying well all of the olympics is an unfair advantage for Kay, and he's he gets all this additional publicity and he gets to work with all these players and yada 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 back in 2008 2006 time frame was anybody saying that about duke i mean I feel like more of the chatter then was Duke fans saying, "Oh, Coach K needs to get out of USA Basketball. This is a bad idea. The recruiting's gone down. He doesn't have time to focus on all of this. He's getting older, etc." And and the script is totally flipped. And and the only thing um, the only thing that changed was time. I mean, it, he's, he's it's the no, same. No, Coach no, 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 no. Hold on.
0: What what, oh. what changed was uh well yeah I was gonna say what what changed was Coach K actually got. Player, Coach K and Jerry Colangelo got the NBA and the players to buy into actually competing and working hard at this, um, and and as a result, everyone's like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Uh, do they not remember that George Carl and Larry Brown, a couple of Carolina guys, both failed to win gold medals? Uh, one of them failed to medal. Complete, I forget which one, but uh, the U.S. finished fifth in one Olympics, didn't they? Uh, sixth, I
1: mean, sixth in 2004 before they hired K.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, Everyone who goes like, oh, this is some great advantage to Duke. What about the risk that Coach K took in 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 doing this, uh, in committing this extra time? It takes him off the recruiting trail, um, and and in taking on a a program that that was not in great shape. Team USA was not the best team in the world, and now suddenly with Coach K, they are far and away the best team in the world. And everyone's like, oh, of course they win. Well, they're winning because they had this guy who who put a system in place and and made it work and, and got the best players in the world to commit to playing his way and they all love playing for him god they a love playing for.
1: Him. Other, and a number of other college coaches have, have sort of ridden the coattails and and joined the program as either assistants or or junior team coaches and it's it's worked out really well for guys like billy donovan and shaka smart and all the rest of them um, so i mean coach k has really like changed not only the senior men's national team um identity but has altered like the whole landscape of the summer high school basketball circuit because now all these guys who would have been aau for three months the very best guys now most of them take off from aau for a little while to play usa basketball because they know that in four five six seven years they're going to be in the nba and they're going to be competing for the real senior team spots and that and that there's that there's some real uh glory and there's there's, there's some real accomplishment associated with being part of team usa so it's not just the senior team. It's the, the whole program that he's built. And, 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 you know, as Duke fans, we love talking about the building of the program, be it in basketball or football, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and he, he goes off into the sunset. With three gold medals, uh, he doesn't actually possess those medals because they don't give them to coaches, because I don't know, because that's freaking stupid if you ask me, but whatever. He doesn't actually have the medals, but he did captain um, or, or lead the ship, uh, coached three gold medal winning teams. Um, I believe uh, that is the, uh, the world record. I don't think there's anyone who has coached four gold medal winning teams. Um, I could be wrong about that. I'm just pulling stats out my butt at this point. Uh, but yeah, mad props to Coach K. It really, it's really impressive, really amazing. And, and I, I want to note one more thing about the team. Um, while, while as Duke fans, we love seeing Kyrie Irving um, succeed, and and Kyrie played really, really nicely. I, I was impressed with Kyrie as a facilitator, by the way. I thought that, um, you know, usually we see Kyrie and he's just going one on one. I thought he did a much better job of involving other players than we see usually when he's in the NBA. Um, he he had he he must have had Carmelo Anthony for open three pointers, like. A dozen or more times, in in, in some of those games, um, what is it? But what the, the is guy, it about
1: Carmelo and Anthony in in international basketball, where he just becomes like the ultimate team player, leader, scorer, everything. I mean, yeah,
0: it's crazy. He's
1: like a different I, guy.
0: It is crazy, you know. And it's not that he's bad in the NBA. I mean, he's obviously he's a great NBA player. But yeah, you're right. It feels like he's a different player when he's playing internationally for Team USA. Um, and and, and you know. I don't think there are are many other players who are great NBA players where your sort of image of them and their lasting impression upon you as a fan comes from their play for Team USA. There's, you know, with the exception of Charles Barkley pushing around Team Angola, there's nothing about playing for Team USA that is sort of a lasting image to me, (laughs) Uh, except for Carmelo. I mean, when I picture Carmelo, when Carmelo Anthony retires someday, when I picture, when I look back in Carmelo Anthony's career, and it probably it's just because his teams have always been pretty mediocre and he's never really made it very far in the in the NBA. When I look back in Carmelo Anthony's career, I will think about him wearing a USA across of, across his chest, and, which is know, really unusual. I
1: don't, I don't know if he's actually going to make the Basketball Hall of Fame, but if he does,
0: oh yeah, oh I, he will,
1: oh I, yeah. Well, a huge part of his, a huge part of his accomplishment and what they're going to talk about, you know, in his. Ceremony and plaque and whatever is going to be his, his contribution to USA basketball because it's been so tremendous.
0: Yeah, and he's the leading scorer in USA basketball history.
1: There
0: you go. Okay. Oh, by the way, before we jumped in on Kyrie and Carmelo, I did want to mention that I was uh, the, the, the sort of lasting thing about Team USA that I wanted to mention was um, I was really glad that Paul George played a really significant role for this team that he, you know, he started some games. He was a leader on the second unit when he wasn't a starter. He was the fourth leading scorer. He was a hugely important player, one of the better defensive players in this team. Um, uh, Paul George gave as much as you can give to USA Basketball when when he blew out his knee a a few years ago. And, um, uh, you know, it was tragic at the time. Um, uh, Who knows how much it might have cost him in terms of his effectiveness as an NBA player. Um, He's still great really great, but um, I don't know if he's quite as great as he was before he got hurt, but I'm thrilled that he came back, that he played again, that he had a very, very successful Olympics, and no one deserves to tangle a gold medal, uh, uh, you know, over their head, on their chest, as much as Paul George does, so I'm, I'm really happy for him.
1: Now, Jason, don't you know that the whole thing is a conspiracy to, to make Coach K look better? It's all a publicity thing, the whole Paul George thing. I mean, haven't you, haven't you read the darkest corners of the internet?
0: Yeah, sorry. I, I, my, my eyes go uh, fuzzy whenever I see that stuff. I, I can't read it. Okay, guys, parting shot is time. Um, uh, Sam, did you have a parting shot? Do you have anything you want to uh, leave the fans with before we go?
1: General excitement for the college football season and specifically for this Duke team. As we talked about, there are gonna be a lot of major changes this year, but I am I am so excited to see them uh, get out on the field. And as I mentioned, I'm going uh, to, to the game in South Bend against Notre Dame in a few weeks, and then after that for homecoming against uh, University of Virginia. So uh, I'm, I'm super excited that I that I get to watch this team on TV, especially that I get to see them in person. Uh, so that's going to be really great. I love, as everybody who listens to the show knows, I love the Duke football program. I'm excited for the direction they're going. And, and as Bob predicted, hopefully we are going back to another bowl game this year.
0: There you go. Hey, Bob, I know you're a, a newbie here on the uh, DBR podcast. Did you come up with anything you want to mention to the fans before we go? Any parting shot from you? I just
2: wanted to uh, thank you guys for inviting me and uh, allowing me the opportunity to talk about Duke football. So this was a uh, was a real pleasure, and uh, uh, I I, well, I know I'll see uh, I, I'll see Sam at uh, the Virginia football game, and uh, yes, sir. Ho- hopefully you're uh, able, Jason, you're able to make it up uh, sometime from Atlanta and uh, come uh, join us at tailgate and enjoy some Duke football.
0: Yeah, I I got to figure out a date to come on up. I, I think I am going to try and come up for a game because my uh, my son is a senior in high school. Um, he's pretty sure. He wants to apply to Duke, um, probably apply early. And uh, I think I may try and use that as an excuse to come up and and take him to a football game. Maybe maybe try and do a football basketball doubleheader kind of thing one weekend or something like that. See if we can work uh, that out.
1: I've got a, uh, the, the, the day that I'm coming to Duke, I've got a tailgate for um, the former players because of my affiliation with the equipment staff. And then I also have a tailgate with my old acapella group because we're having a big reunion that weekend. But I am sure that I will come out and uh, take at least one of your beers from your cooler uh, if, if you'll have me. So um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that, sir. I'm looking forward to it too. There'll be a cold beer in there for you. Excellent,
0: uh, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up with my parting shot. I just want to give a quick shout out, a quick mention to Ibtihaj Muhammad. Um, I'm sure you all have heard of her. She is uh, the uh, uh, Muslim American on the U.S. fencing team, the saber team, to be more uh, to be more specific. She she is a saber wielder uh, for Team USA. Um, she won a bronze medal as part of the team saber. Um, she was, of course, the first uh, Muslim woman um, from America to wear a hijab, a head covering um, in the Olympics. Uh, she represented her nation. She represented Duke University because she's a Duke grad. Um, and uh, uh, she she represented all of us um, in fabulous, fabulous fashion. There were a lot of Duke players who, uh, a lot of former Dukies who were in the Olympics. But um, I, I wanted to shout out to Ibtihaj Mohammed who um, I, I just think, you know, it's wonderful how well she comported herself. And I think it's important that America be seen as a country of tolerance. And she was a symbol of that for us around the globe. So thank you very much. And we from Duke University are so thrilled and proud that you were uh, part of our program. By the way, when she was at Duke, um, she was a three-time All-American. Uh, so uh, she, she knows what she's doing with a, a piece of steel in her hand. Um, uh, really cool, really cool. C- congrats on your bronze medal. Um That is something I will never even come close to achieving. <laughs>
1: and we know that and we know that uh, if Donald was here, uh, that he would just be talking about the Olympics the whole time. So glad you got that that in his place.
0: Yeah, Donald, that was for you, buddy. Uh, so uh, so that's it for us uh, here on the uh, DBR podcast. I'm not sure is this is like episode number fifty five, something like that. I don't even remember. We've done so You'll many post of them. It, so I, I hope you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Bob Green, again, thank you so much for joining me. Sam Klein, thanks for being here as always. Donald Wine will be back very soon. We will be back very soon. Um, uh, the uh, the college year has begun again. Football has begun again. And that means you can count on us on pretty much a weekly basis from here on out. Um, go Devils, beat NC Central, and folks, we'll talk to you next time.